service and to all of our guests, to all those watching online, and to all of our resident community members. It's been a very joyous, inspiring, deep week. The tremendous depth in Jyotishan Devi's presentations to us, all the other parts of the programs, the evening programs, the Kriya initiation. I think we all feel just a, a depth of that connection with not only the divine but with one another, to really feel that we, we live so much more in the presence of the divine when we can shine as instruments to others and also feel that from others. So let's thank each other and thank one another for the blessings that we have in these special settings like Inner Renewal Week. I'd like to read to you, by the way, if you don't know who we are, <laughs> we <don't either. laughs> This is Nayaswami Parvati, and I'm Nayaswami Pranaba. Today's reading from Rays of the One Light, which is a compilation of comparative readings from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita, is, Can man see God? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. There is a saying in chapter 1 of the Gospel of St. John that would seem to respond with a definite no to the question, can man see God? The saying is, no man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Many great saints, however, claim to have seen God. If we ask then, can God be seen, rather than can man see God, the answer is yes. Else those saints slide, and the scriptures themselves slide. For Jesus also said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The point is, it is not man, this human body, these human eyes, that sees God. God can be seen only with spiritual vision, with the eye of the soul. As the Bhagavad Gita puts it in the 11th chapter, Thou canst not see me with mortal eyes. Therefore now I give thee sight divine. Behold my supreme power of yoga. With these words, Hari, the exalted Lord of yoga, 
revealed himself to Arjuna in his infinite form. Paramahansa Yogananda in Autobiography of a Yogi describes the supernal experience in words more readily comprehensible to modern minds than the poetic phraseology of the Bhagavad Gita. The chapter in Experience in Cosmic Consciousness is one of the most inspiringly beautiful in all mystical literature. Here is a brief excerpt. An oceanic joy broke upon calm, endless shores of my soul. The Spirit of God, I realize, is exhaustless bliss. His body is countless tissues of light. I saw the divine dispersion of rays pour from an eternal source, blazing into galaxies, transfigured with ineffable auras. Again and again I saw the creative beams condense into constellations then resolve into sheets of transparent flame. By rhythmic reversion, sextillion worlds passed into diaphanous luster. Fire became firmament. I cognized the center of the Imperium as a point of intuitive perception in my heart. Irradiating splendor issued from my nucleus to every part of the universal structure. The creative voice of God I heard resounding as Om the vibration of the cosmic motor. This, so the great masters of ear, is what God is. And this is also, they insist, is what we are in our deepest reality. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh. So I'd like to welcome all of you and just say as well it was an incredible, wonderful week this week and the really deep um, experiences of the classes with Jyotish and Devi were really quite remarkable. They have been in the past and they were again this time and um, anyway it's just been and also to, to share that with each other. We've had a chance because it's a week-long program to also connect with you, have lunches, and uh, just chat, and things like that. So we are part of an incredibly powerful and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and a very strong spiritual family, if you choose to, to be part of it. And if you do, that's a tremendous support for your spiritual growth. I'd like to read from Whispers from Eternity. Demand for the opening of spiritual temple doors everywhere. O Father, when I was blind, I found not a door which led to thee. But now that thou hast opened my eyes, I find doors everywhere, through the hearts of flowers, through the voice of friendship, through sweet memories of all lovely experiences. Every gust of my prayer opens a new door in the vast temple of thy presence. I'd like to actually share a story with you. And <clears throat> it's a story that most of us know, but still it's so deep. It's the story of Namdev. And when Swami wrote The New Path, he added certain uh, 
parts to it that he hadn't had before. And in that one I noticed that, and maybe other people knew this, but I didn't, that that story was told to him in India by a fully liberated master, wrote Yogi Ramya in 1960. And so I thought, wow, it really has that added power and depth to it. So Namdev was a, um, and eventually became an incredibly powerful uh, saint and probably master in the area of Maharashtra in India. But this story is told before he had a guru. And so Namdev um, had the incredibly good spiritual karma to see God. He saw Krishna in the temple, he meditated every day, had visions of Krishna and connected, spoke with him. Um, and he was very well thought of in his little village. And yet, there was also another saint in this little village that was also very well thought of. And uh, at one point, so the story is told, um, and in other words, Namdev had a lot of followers. And one day in the village, they were having a spiritual uh, event, whatever it was to celebrate. And uh, everyone was there, all of the followers and the, the two saints were there. And this other saint, who was a potter, decided that, he didn't even decide, he just started going around and slapping everyone. Each person, just whack! <laughs> and uh, potters have the reputation of being able to understand if what the pot that they've made has any cracks in it by wrapping it. And there will be a certain sound if it's not completely whole. And so the saint was the saint, the potter, was just going around slapping everyone. And people there, um, they knew he was a high soul, and so they didn't really react or anything. They just figured it was some strange whim of his. But, uh, but he came to Namdev, and he also slapped him. And Namdev reacted. Remember reactions? <laughs> Likes and dislikes? So Namdev reacted and he said, why did you do that to me? And the saint just stood up and calmly said, there seems to be a crack in this pot <laughs> in front of everyone. And Namdev was completely humiliated and felt terrible. And he went back to the temple and he saw Krishna again and he said, Lord, what happened there? Why did you allow me to be humiliated. And Krishna said to him, well, Namdev, I have to say, there is a crack in this pot. And, uh, and so, but, but at that point, that's a turning point for all of us, <laughs> for all of us. <coughs> Completely humiliated, exposed, Namdev said to Krishna, Lord, I love you, and I really want to know how to make this right. And Krishna, he said, tell me what to do. And Krishna says to him, well, Namdev, I can appear to you in visions, and I can even offer you teachings, but I cannot free you from the ego, is basically what it was. And 
Namdev stays right with him and he says, then tell me, Lord. And, and, and Krishna says, for that, you, my law is that you must have a guru. And he says, but Krishna, you give me everything. He says, no, my law is that only the guru can do that for you. I am not your guru. And so Namdev again stays with him and he says, well then please at least tell me where I can find my guru. Where is this guru? And so at that point, um, Namdev is given the name of a little village and he goes there. And I wanted to read this part for you because it's so beautiful and also because for each one of us, this is our story as well. Even though we may not think of ourselves as great saints, this is what we either have been through and felt fallen, or we may uh, come to at some point in our spiritual lives. And so please close your eyes and <clears throat> feel yourself as Namdev. <clears throat> the Lord gave Namdev the name of a certain saint and that of the village in which he lived. He will be your guru, the Lord said. He added with a smile, but don't be surprised if he seems a bit peculiar. This is just his way. Namdev went to the village named by Krishna and made inquiries as to the saint's whereabouts. That lunatic, laughed the villagers. Who would want anything to do with him? It's a practice of some saints, you see, to protect themselves from curiosity seekers by strange behavior. But when Namdev present, uh, pre pressed the villagers further, they replied offhandedly, oh, you'll probably find him somewhere around the temple. He usually spends his time there. Namdev went to the temple. No one was in the courtyard. But when he entered the temple, he found a wild-looking, disheveled old man carelessly sprawled on the floor. Surely this can't be my guru, he thought anxiously. A moment later, the question faded from his mind, for to his horror, he noticed that the old man's feet were resting on a Shiva lingam, like on the altar. Furious at this act of desecration, he strode over and ordered the man at once to shift his feet. The old man opened his eyes drowsily. You see, my son, he replied, my difficulty is that I'm old. This body is no longer so easy for me to move. Would you do me the favor of moving my feet? to some spot where there is no linga? Namdev hastened to oblige. He was about to set the old man's feet down in a new spot when he saw directly underneath them another Shiva linga. He shifted them again. A third linga appeared. Yet again, a fourth linga. Suddenly, understanding dawned. This man was indeed his guru. Prostrating himself humbly before him, Namdev prayed for forgiveness. I was blind, Gurudeva, he cried. Now I know who you are and I understand what it is you have been trying to teach me. With calm majesty then, the old man rose to his feet. God is everywhere, Namdev, he said. Realize him in yourself and with transformed vision, behold him residing in all things. The guru struck him gently on the chest over the heart. 
The breath left the disciples' body. Rooted to the temple floor, Namdev stood as if transfixed, unable to move a muscle. His consciousness, like rising waters in a lake, burst the frail dam of his body. In fluid light, it streamed outward in all directions, embracing temple precincts, the village, the whole of India, Namdev, nations, continents, oceans. At last, it included the entire world and solar systems. From that day onward, Namdev lived immersed in the divine consciousness. He wandered about the countryside, intoxicated night and day with fathomless bliss. One day, many months later, he happened to be in the vicinity of his old village. Passing the temple where he had first worshipped God, he entered and sat for meditation. Again the Lord appeared to him, as of old, in the form of Krishna. My child, said Krishna, for so many months you have neglected me. You who never failed to worship here a single day, I have missed you. Where have you been? My beloved, cried Namdev, smiling happily at the Lord's playfulness. How could I think of coming here to see you when everywhere I gaze, I behold your formless presence? Blissfully then, the Lord replied, now there are no cracks in that pot. So, but if you imagine yourself as Namdev, those tests that he passed are not so easy to pass. And in fact, uh, Master Paramahansa Yogananda told the story of a man who had a similar experience. He had achieved Sabhikalpa Samadhi. His guru was Indian, he was English, and he was living with his guru in India. And something happened there <coughs> with another disciple, and he was affronted. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and as uh, Yogananda said, he couldn't forget that he was British. And he left his guru, he left India, and he fell from that high state. So it's no joke what we're talking about here. It's very um, deep and serious things. And this story illustrates these in a wonderful way. One, the power of the ego to really thwart us. Even, even having visions of God to come in and just <laughs> take you down and take you off and distract you. And the more, I always remember Swami saying, when you say, I want God, everyone notices, including that delusive power that takes notice. And he said, you, you will face fights, you will face tests, because you've said you want freedom. And so expect it, expect it. It's not a big thing, you're not alone. Anyone who wants something as high as that, that's to be expected. <clears throat> but the other thing that Namdev had going for him, evidently, was the power of his good karma spiritually over many lifetimes to stay with what God was giving him and to not back away. And for all of us, that's really something to remember. 
that as we go through this life, as we do our practices, as we uh, try to be in tune, all of that, that we know we're going to get tested. It's how we become strong. And so don't feel odd about that. Don't feel like, oh my God, what's happening? And now I can't really meditate. I've been meditating for 40 years and now I can't meditate. What's wrong? You know, it's, a, it's okay. We all hit rough patches. And that, you just, that's why it's so important that what Jyotish and Devi emphasized, those pillars, sadhana, service, and attunement. Those are the ones that keep us really moving forward and in ways that will see us through a lot of things that come our way. You know, I I don't know how you are, but I love the essence of the Bhagavad Gita. It is a tremendous book. And I just periodically, well, I'll just open it and read, but I also periodically find things that really, for me, stick with me. And I wanted to share a couple of those things um, that I've been just kind of thinking about a lot recently. One is in the chapter where um, it's called Transcending the Gunas, and uh, it's around chapter 14 of the Bhagavad Gita itself. But the commentary it's interesting because it's talking about the complexity of the gunas. You know, there's sattva guna, rajoguna, and tamoguna. They represent different qualities. And they're all within us and playing. They're all moving. And they express at certain times in certain ways. And um, <clears throat> what, uh, what Swami says in the commentary, Swami Kriyananda, is that this is why it expresses the importance of the guru because he said what we're presented with and each one of us will be very unique in how this expresses but we're presented with a he says a myriad of complexity of qualities that just pop up in us and it's like oh my god it's like that uh, that example that Swami gave of you're washing the shirt and it has air in it and you push it down one place and it pops up in another. Like that, but it's so complex because we've been on uh, uh, this journey for millions of lifetimes. And so the, uh, the qualities that are trying to express through us will think, now I'm really dedicated, I, I meditate every day, and I get angry, and I, I feel tamasic, I feel low energy, and, but, but in complex ways that we don't always know what to do about it. But he said, this is where the uh, necessity, absolute necessity of the guru comes into play, because when you accept a guru, and more importantly, when he accepts you as, as his disciple, and you agree to work with him, to cooperate with his grace, then he can begin to guide you through your unique, each one of us, your unique way of dealing with these 
and getting through them all. And without that, he said, the guru's job and what he takes on when you become his disciple is the job of seeing you through all of that. And no one else can do it. No friend can do it. We can't do it for ourselves. But that that attunement with the guru and that continuing attunement with the guru, no matter what comes, is what gets us through. We inwardly begin to understand how to respond, how to work with these different energies in ways that resolve them. And then he said, you come to the place where you reach a plateau of mostly sattvic qualities from which you can make the final effort to be truly free. Because that also has to happen. But before that, we're all dealing with these things. And so that was one. It's, um, if you want to look it up, 1417 in the Bhagavad Gita, the commentary. And then the other one is, uh, which I found very poignant and helpful. I don't know if poignant's the right word, but very helpful. <coughs> Where Swami is talking about in the commentary and this is chapter 1725, where he's talking about we as sincere disciples and what we expect from our spiritual practices. Sorry, my voice is a little odd. <coughs> we, would <coughs> we would like to have the guru... Uh, show his favor to us. You know, we're, we're meditating every day. You know, everything's just going along. But these are things in the mind where we would like to have acknowledgement from the guru in some way that we're doing okay. That we would like to know that he cares and loves, about, loves us, cares about us, loves us. We'd like to feel something in that way. If we're serving people, we would like to know that they are getting better. <laughs> I mean, these are, these are very subtle things. In other words, we're not only serving them, but we're attached to the outcome of our service to them. And he says about all of these things, and that we might like to have visions, etc. But he said, all of these things will come will come in time to the sincere devotee that is sincere disciple but the trick is to let go of attachment to them so they those thoughts that are there we have to let go of attachment to the fact of am i is anything happening i'm meditating is it happening we have to let go of, of those thoughts and trust that the guru, through the techniques, through attitude, is guiding us home. And he says, we have to let go of the attachments and the desire for uh, responses. And because that will keep us from doing. And what we want to do is we keep doing. We have to just keep doing what we're doing. And he said, all those things will come 
at the point when doing, doer, and done become one because we're merged in that. And that, when I read that, I thought, that really helps a whole lot to know that. You know, to feel that, yes, I may want this or that, but let go of it. Be non-attached even in that and allow God's grace and Master's grace, His power, just to work through us until and to keep us moving forward. If we're worried about, oh, well, is it happening, or I haven't done what I've read about, you know, I ha- that hasn't happened to me, you know, and, and so that takes our energy and it can lead into downward moving uh, currents that really sideswipe, swipe, sideswipe us for a while. So the ability to, even in that, be non-attached. And read the commentary. I may not be putting it as well as it's put there. But the goal is that we're going to oneness. And when we let go of attachment and the need for response, then we uh, come to that place where doing, doer, and done become one. And that's our reality. Then we're free. It doesn't matter. We don't, we don't have those questions anymore because it's done. But it won't be done if we stop. We have to keep moving. You know, one other little um, interesting story, just a, an example, is that um, uh, Trilanga Swami, one of his um, not very advanced disciples because of the circumstance, uh, came to him. He, he lived in Varanasi, and this disciple was there with him. And um, uh, the disciple kept pestering him because he really wanted to have a vision of this particular statue. And he, he kept asking Trilanga Swami, can't you help me? I'd really like to... And so Trilanga Swami and he sat. The statue became Divine Mother, walked out of the form, came and sat with them, had they had tea, I mean, whatever, you know, they discussed things and all of that. And then at the end of that, the statue went back and became a statue again. And Trilanga Swami looked at this man and he said, so what do you have now? Because it didn't transform him. He wasn't ready for that and it didn't do anything for him. It was just an experience. And so it's really... Again, this path is so incredible. It is a path of liberation. All we have to do is keep moving forward (laughs) and to keep in tune. As Master said, when things get tough, get more in tune. If they get tougher, get more in tune. And that attunement comes through those pillars. Sadhana, just make it simple and regular every single day. Seva that we have the right attitude about how we serve. That again, it's not attached with, I'm giving and I want something in, in reply. And also attunement itself, where we're always asking inwardly. I say always, as much as we can, asking inwardly for that guidance. And then the last thing, which I think you can practice. I don't know, I, I like to do this. Because Jyotish and Devi said, there's one further pillar, 
And that is seeing God everywhere. And you know, in our tumultuous times, look for God's presence everywhere. You know Divine Mother, read some of the things in Whispers about Divine Mother. She's both sweet and loving and also, wow, powerful and dramatic and creating worlds and getting rid of them and all of that. She's Mother Nature as well as Divine Mother. And so in our time, really look for God's hand in everything. Master almost promised us that these times would be very, very difficult. So why be surprised? <laughs> they are, <laughs> you know. But difficult only if you're attached. Oh, well, that shouldn't be happening. Oh, why is that person doing that? You know, people appear on the stage of history at certain moments in time. Look back just a hundred years, World War One, <clears throat> or two, now, they're there. They're characters. They're working out their karma. We don't have to work out their karma for them, and we don't have to live their karma. But it's happening, and just really try to, again, not being irresponsible, but really try to do what Master said about what duality and delusion is about. It's, it's a show. It's God's dream, and it's for us to be educated and entertained. So try to really see God's hand in everything that happens around you, in this world, with people, whatever. It is what it is, and that quality of contentment will take you a long, long way. It was the quality we read about today. And, uh, but really try to feel that presence. It, it will bring you a tremendous amount of joy. And Pranava and I have lived, we've lived all over. We live at the village now, but we've lived in Italy and Seattle and Portland and the Bay Area and Dallas, Texas. And I felt Master's presence everywhere. Just do it. You can do it. It's there. And really, if you bring that in, then that will really sustain you and keep in touch. Come here. Come to powerful satsang centers. We've just enjoyed an incredible week together. We're a spiritual family. Keep in touch whether in whatever way works for you, but face-to-face is important. Online is sustaining, but really make that happen. It will make a tremendous difference in your sadhana, in your spiritual growth, and in your level of joy. And I wanted to close by reading a little prayer from, uh, <clears throat> this is from the Promise of Immortality. And it's from the reading this week. To the Guru pray, <clears throat> make me aware of your consciousness within and around me. I offer myself up to you for transformation. For you alone see my divine potential. May my thoughts become your divine inspirations, my consciousness, your infinite bliss. Introduce me to God. Lord, may we serve you all.